0: Welcome you again to Weston Park Baptist Church as we uh, carry on with a series on different psalms. Uh, these are psalms that I haven't looked at um, with us as a congregation over the years, so this is, these are all new. So today, Psalm 63, and we're calling it an appetite for God. What do we really want in life? What are we hungry for? What's our appetite so the psalmist uh, gives us some good direction here, and I think it's valuable lesson to be learning. So Psalm sixty-three, interesting enough, uh, is a very was a very important psalm to the early church. We know from different uh, pieces that we've collected over the years. For example, the DDK uh, was an early church service from about the year ninety. AD so very early and so we know that as the early church met they in when they got together for worship they would read psalms and they would normally read a series of psalms and interesting enough they always began with psalm 63 so psalm 63 has a long tradition in the christian church of being an important piece and Part of it is that Psalm 63, the early verse there, can read, early will I seek thee. Early will I seek thee. And it can be translated various nuances, but because of that, it was used off the beginning, the church would meet early Sunday morning, and then they would read these psalms, beginning with Psalm 63. And secondly, with this psalm, it it it's... The context for this psalm is David, King David, and his son Absalom. And it's a story from 2 Samuel 15. Uh, you can read that verse 23, but where Absalom is, is seeking his throne. So he is attempting a coup to overthrow his father and to become king of Israel. So he's been working on that and setting it up. And so when we come to the end of the psalm, verse 11, we have the reference to the king, the king. and uh, But the king shall rejoice in God. So David's writing this, and he's referencing himself as the king. And that's important, because otherwise we could think, well, maybe it's earlier in David's life when David is fleeing from King Saul. But that's not the case. So this this psalm has a particular... Pain you can imagine your beloved son is trying and attempting to betray you, overthrow you, and kill you, so that that 's painful, and clearly that would be very difficult on king david and it 's from that situation that he writes this psalm. so we want to keep that context we 'll come back to it at the end of the psalm, but that that 's kind of the framework for what is going on here. So it's quite particular, quite specific, um, and a painful piece. We can imagine that together. So with that in mind, we begin with the first few verses. O God, you are my God. I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands and call on your name. So as we begin verses 1 to 4, we see that God is my desire. That's the theme of these first four verses. God, you are my desire. You are the one that I hunger after. So verses 1 and 2 particularly, it's a statement of longing. And it's a longing both in the desert and in the sanctuary. So it's, it's both in creation, longing, and also in the temple, the sanctuary, or today in the church. So it's both creation and the church a real longing for God, a devotion to God in in a holistic manner. So for us, throughout the week, as we are in creation, whatever way that might be here, summer, we often get a chance to get out of town a little bit into God's creation. In David's area, it's the desert. And then also in the sanctuary, we come to church. We have this lovely church Here at Weston Park, a bit of a gothic approach with the windows and the shape. A sanctuary can be a temple, a sanctuary where we meet God. So longing is going on in both parts. And interesting here, O God, you are my God. God, The name for God there is Elohim. So God all-powerful. Elohim is that God all-powerful. Over all creation over all humanity. So we have overtones of Isaiah 6, verses 1 to 8, of Isaiah's vision of God. Remember that amazing vision he has of, of, of the angelic beings and cherubim and seraphim all surrounding the throne of God. That's Isaiah's vision, God, Elohim, all-powerful. And so it is this God that david is particularly thinking of so here there's an inner division or devotion sorry and an outer devotion inner devotion is a sense of meditation meditating on god looking upon god contemplation so our our own inner spiritual disciplines but then there's also the outer sense of praising god my lips will praise you I lift up my hands in praise, we see in verse 4. I will lift up my hands and call on your name. So it's an inner devotion and an outer devotion. Desiring to be in God's presence. A longing for God. So if we just pause there for a moment, we can ask ourselves, okay, you know how much am I longing for God? What sense of desire is there for me, for you? We can get caught up in life and all the hassles and challenges and, and we can just get swamped with all of that and we're not really thinking on God too much, not longing for him. But that's where David begins. And this longing, we can see three elements to this as we just reflect on these first four verses. First of all, there is some sort of sense of Absence. He is longing for God, and in that light, he's not experiencing God's presence the way he wants. So there's an absence, and he's longing for more. And I I think that's helpful to recognize, because in our own lives, we do experience often an absence of God's presence, a dryness. And, you know, it's not that God is really absent from us because God is imminent. He fills his universe. But we can feel like he's absent. And so there is that sense that might be going on in your life too. It it may feel like a very dry time and you want more of God with you. So there's the sense of absence, but then there's also the sense of presence, the presence of God. Verse three, because your steadfast love is better than love, steadfast love, or the KJV, your loving kindness. This speaks of God's presence. And steadfast love is that Hebrew word we've referenced before, often kessed. Kessed is God's steadfast love or his loving kindness. So James May writes, and steadfast love is indeed the characteristic of the Lord that informs all the others and constitutes the goodness of the Lord, the very basis for our relationship with God, the foundation for God and our relationship is his keset, his steadfast love. All the other virtues and attributes of God are built on his keset. So that is God's Showing up in our lives is, is our recognition that indeed God loves us with his loving kindness, his steadfast love. So there's absence, there's presence, and then thirdly, there's a sense of relationship. God becomes my God. Note right off the top, verse one O oh God, you are my God. Last week in Psalm 40, we looked at, we we recognized God's presence with me with little old me. And here the psalmist David says it again, O God, you are my God. I seek you. So I want to be in relationship with you. Verse 4, I bless you. I call on your name. I want to enter into this full relationship with you. This is the heart of what David is saying in this place. He desires God in a holistic way. Absence, presence, relationship, I want to know you. I want to experience you in this fulsome way, so David writes. So it begins with desire. And then the next few verses speaks to the issue of delight. I find my delight in God. We hear it in verses 5 through 8. My soul is satisfied as with a rich feast, and my mouth praises you with joyful lips. When I think of you on my bed... And meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. So there now is not just a desire, but a delight in God. Verses 5 to 8. And specifically, twice we have the reference to joy. Verse 5 and in verse 7. To experience joy in God. And the psalmists often speak about this. And it's interesting that C.S. Lewis, in his book Reflection on the Psalms, he writes this I want to stress what I think that we need more the joy and delight in God which meet us in the Psalms. That's what he writes as an Anglican. And he recognizes later that maybe in his day the Anglicans didn't know that much about joy. Maybe. Could be for us today as Baptists, I don't know. But he says, I want to stress what I think that we need more, the joy and delight in God, which meet us in the Psalms. To find real delight in God, to know joy in God. And so then how, how does that happen? Well, for the psalmist, it, it begins with meditating on who God is, thinking, using our mind, our brain, on recognizing God and his attributes, who God is. A.W. Tozer, years ago, wrote a book on um, God and his attributes, the pursuit of God, knowing his attributes. James Packer wrote one also on knowing God, using that title. And, And it serves us well to think, use our brains in terms of reflecting on who God is. That's what we see in verse 6. When I think of you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. Interesting. Through the watches of the night. That meant through the different time hours of the night. And so probably here it's meaning David wasn't sleeping all that well. I don't know if you have the issue of sleeplessness. Can't get into sleep sleep, or you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't get back to sleep. Well, that seemed to be David's experience, and of course, if your son is trying to find you in the desert and search for you and kill you, that would be a reason to stay awake. But he uses it as a time to reflect on who God is, meditate on God, and as a result of that, to trust, depend on him. Maybe that would be good for us when we can't sleep. Instead of rolling around in bed or getting up and having some hot chocolate or whatever it might be, maybe thinking about God might do us some good. So we see the joy, we see reflecting on God, meditating on who he is, and then thirdly, verses 7 8, trusting and sheltering on God's and under his wings. This is a lovely verse, verse 7 and 8, For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. The shadow of the blankets, the same image of Ruth uh, sheltering under the edge of the blanket of Boaz. Sheltering under God's blanket, under his wings. Finding our shelter in God's Arms and under his arms, where we have this little place down in Prince Edward County, right at the end of our road, Kelly Road. There's an osprey's nest, and it's built on top of a hydro pole. Actually, somebody, I think the the county, have put in some of these platforms, and so the ospreys build their nest on these platforms on top of the hydro pole. And whenever you go by, right now, if we were going by there, there there would be a big nest, there is a nest, and sure enough, there are little ospreys, baby ospreys, and both parents are big birds, big hawks like eagles, usually feeding their young with fish, so we're not far from the lake. And it's interesting that both parents take care of the young. Both fly in, you can see it. And so that's a a lovely image of trusting and sheltering under God's wings. God, the creator of all the universe and us, little old us, sheltering under his wings. And not only that, we see this, my soul clings to you and your right hand upholds me. And so we have two halves here, if you like, where we cling to God and God holds on to us. And this is all part of the delight. I cling to God, and God holds on to me. So the two ends. 50% is me clinging on to God, the other 50% or more is God holding on to me, to you. Paul picks up the same idea in Philippians 3.12, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Note, I press on, I do my work, and God and Jesus also do their work to hold on to me and to you, to us. There's a pressing on from both ends. We cling and God holds on. That's what verse 8 says. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. And so in the midst of our challenges, that's what we need to hold on to. We need to recognize that we, we have a direction we have a, a goal. Note back to verse 4. So I will bless you as long as I live. That means his life vocation, David's, is to seek God. I will bless you as long as I live. My goal is to hunger after you and to be in relationship with you. You are my creator. I am your creature, it makes sense that I want to keep my focus on you and not on all these extra things. You are the creator. When life is gone, I will be back with you. You are my creator. All the things that we long for, all the stuff, my different guitar collection, right? That's going to all be left here. It's focusing on you It's my creator and redeemer. So that's what David was saying and that's the same invitation for us. This is all part of us delighting in God, hungering in God, trusting in Him. So it begins with desire and then it moves to our delight and then we circle back and we come back to the context, the issue with Absalom. My defense. My defense is God. My desire is God, my delight is in God, my defense is in God. Verses 9 to 11. But those who seek to destroy my life, that is Absalom and his group of followers, shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be prey for jackals or coyotes or wolves. That's the idea. But the king, king, me, David, I'm the king right now, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. The king shall rejoice in God. And so we return back to the story of Absalom seeking the throne, seeking a coup to overcome his father, searching him out now in the desert. desert. David is fleeing in the desert. So we see the dark shadows of this psalm. They are revealed by ultimately David, King David, trusts in God. His hope is in God. He believes that God will restore him because he is the king. God has made him the king. And someone just doesn't take that away. That is God's decision to do such a thing. So the psalm ends in trust and devotion and hope. I will bless you as long as I live. No other value is greater than my devotion to God. So as we conclude then, we we draw back from the psalm, we look at it, it's only 11 verses. What we see then is this divine human interplay. God holds on to us and we hold on to him. He upholds us, we hold on. Even when we are physically challenged and maybe especially then When we are hurting and our body is having difficulties, God holds on to us and we hold on to him. Interesting, you can read in Revelation 1, 5, where John, the disciple, the apostle, is on the Isle of Patmos. He's been exiled, banished. But as he he prays and begins that apocalypse, He he reveals and speaks to himself as being spiritually liberated. I am exiled, but I am spiritually free. I am liberated. So this divine human interplay is going on in this psalm, and not just for David, but for us. And then the key, comes back to our title, the key is to keep our spiritual appetite on God. What do we hunger after? Am I really hungry for God? What is my appetite for God? Let's just use that word because we get that word, appetite. It's not spirituality or something else that's kind of vague. What are you hungry for? What's my appetite? And is there an appetite for God? Am I restless after God to be in relationship with him? That, That is where David is going. That's what he's longing for. And so Jesus speaks to this kind of appetite in John four thirteen fourteen, 14. To the woman at the well, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. This kind of relationship, a dynamic relationship with God. One final text can think of hebrews chapter 8 verses 10 to 12 it also speaks about this divine human relationship the writer of hebrews says this is the covenant that i will make with the house of israel after those days says the lord no i will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts and i will be their god and they shall be my people and note and they shall not teach one another (coughs) or say to each other know the lord For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. God will put his spirit, his law in our hearts and our minds, and then we will know him. We will walk with him. The divine human interplay. So may we have a chance this week to reflect on Psalm 63 cause us to reflect on, you know, what, what do I really hunger after? What's my appetite? Where does God fit into that? Do I want to know him? Do I want to know him more? Let's reflect on those things together this week. In Christ's name we pray.